0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. In state legislatures, the push for school choice continues, but in the last few years, culture war fights have cropped up, and those fights have been embraced by the right. Those include bans on critical race theory, how history is taught more broadly, and limitations on how trans students are able to participate in sports. Cato's Neil McCluskey says the victory to aim for is choice and not engaging in either bans or mandates on those other issues we spoke last week, an argument that you make, that I make, that lots of people make who are active school choice advocates will say, look, school choice is a way to diffuse a lot of the problems that are culture war battles, that are winner-take-all battles over what happens in schools in America. And that has... That seems to be a bedrock idea behind school choice. Is that changing? Well, I,
1: I look at it a little differently, in that I often feel like the argument that school choice is a way to have peaceful coexistence in a pluralist society and not to mention enable people to have self-determination about you know what their education is going to be about is buried in the school choice debate. At least it was for a long time. So I've been at this almost 20 years now. Um, And for most of the time I've been involved, or at least half of the time, the whole debate seemed to be, does school choice lead to higher test scores? The good news is we got away from that because People got tired of education, school choice, public schools, no matter what you're looking at, being reduced to test scores. And then we sort of, I think people are kind of groping around for, well, what should we measure education based on? Um, But uh, we've been making the argument that Cato... That probably, you know, arguably the most important part of school choice is that it enables people to find education that is consistent with their values rather than forcing them to go into wrenching divisive conflicts with their neighbors to decide, do my values get taught in the schools my kids go to and that I have to pay for it? Or do yours, these zero sum games, That now, you know, we see in these culture wars come down to very important things like your identity, you know, your race, your ethnicity, your religion, your values. Will you have your moral values upheld or violated by the schools? And so we've been talking about this for a very long time. We, of course, have the public schooling battle map, which is meant to illustrate through thousands now of these values and identity based conflicts cataloged here that we see in public schools. First of all, to defeat the myth that. You know, public schools bring diverse people together. If we don't have them, we'll balkanize. That's really actually illogical. And we see that it actually leads to conflicts. But it's also supposed to illustrate that, look, if we could choose schools, we wouldn't have to fight over these things. And so for a long time, I despaired that people weren't interested in this argument. But recently, it's become much bigger especially as we've had these big culture war conflicts over what's called critical race theory and uh, what's called gender ideology in schools, you know, and uh, which students can participate in which sports and things like that. So I've started to see a lot of evidence that people are beginning to embrace this idea uh, that
0: school choice is a way toward peace and, you know, quality under the law for that. matter. So uh, I have seen in state legislatures across the country that— The right, broadly speaking, is engaging on a lot of these issues, whether it's uh, critical race theory or transgender athletes, whether or not they are allowed to uh, compete uh, on the teams that they would like to compete on or uh, any number of other things, whether it's school resource officers, which effectively are armed guards in schools. uh, they're more than willing to engage on this stuff. And, you know, my frustration has always been, look, there are a lot of different choices that have to be made uh, by parents, by schools, and it ought to be something where it's a little more fluid. It should be, uh, parents should have a much more substantial role in choosing the bundle of benefits uh, and accepting certain costs that that they can accept. But, in general, parents ought to be in the driver's seat.
1: Yeah, there seems to be a a split from what I can observe happening on the right. And it all tends to use the term of parent empowerment. Uh, And it's been, I think, kind of uh, exemplified by uh, now Governor Glenn Youngkin. So he talked a lot about Uh, empowering parents, and parents should be in charge of what happens in schools Um, when he was running. A big part of whether or not he was elected seemed to be when his opponent said, look, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to do. Uh, And that sent a message of, well, he doesn't care what parents want. And so you get sort of this choice now, choice for choice, you might say, but a choice that people like Glenn Youngkin and then people, conservatives, Across the country, we see it all over, but because this was the most recent gubernatorial election that that put a Republican into office, you could take parent empowerment to mean I am going to try and make the public schools do what some parents want, presumably the ones that got you elected or who are loudest, or I can embrace parent empowerment through school choice, letting all parents Decide what they think is best. Unfortunately, what we've seen in the Youngkin administration so far is embracing the root of look, I hear conservative parents who aren't happy with their schools, so I'm going to make the schools do what those conservative parents want. I will ban the teaching of what's called critical race theory. I will tell schools they cannot require students to wear masks. And that's a very dangerous direction to go in, to say parent empowerment really means empowering the people. Who have who are the loudest or are my political supporters. But that's what public schooling requires. It requires that you pick winners and losers, inherently. As long as there's disagreement about what the one school system everybody must use teaches, that's what you get. And so uh, I've been worried that we see this, you know, and you see it in many states where they have banned, they call it divisive concepts. But if you look at a lot of these laws, that is very vague and could be used to prohibit all sorts of speech. I've been worried that, well, what happens if this also infects sort of school choice supporters on the right, where they say, well, you can choose, but you can't choose this.
0: Right. I've I've seen uh, pieces of legislation that include a, spe- a specific speech. In the case of Kentucky, there's a piece of legislation that was offered that uh, has The Ronald Reagan speech from 1964 in support of Barry Goldwater, famous speech. It's a speech worth watching, uh, I suppose, or listening to, uh, called A Time for Choosing, put into statute. And it's just odd to see uh, these kinds of things being put into statute. It just doesn't seem it seems it almost entirely inappropriate for statute to dictate curriculum. Uh, At least on on issues where there is uh, confusion and broad disagreement about what ought to be emphasized, right? Uh, And we see this both
1: with prescribing things you must read and prohibiting things, saying you cannot read from the sixteen nineteen project in your schools, which we've seen in many places. And it's you can understand on one level where people think, well, all we've got are these public schools, and so if we don't force them to do what we want, the other side will. What's concerning, though, is we see some of this, so much of this from Republicans, from people on the right. And the thought is, well, the people on the right tend to like decentralized uh, decision-making. They should really love school choice. And even within public schooling, they would want to have local decision-making. They used to talk about local control. And now, again, my worry is, that we're going to start seeing people say, well, school choice should be limited. And we, uh, a paper came out um, from the Heritage Foundation uh, recently that said, look, it said some of the things that are right, by the way. At the very beginning, it said, you know, the way we should deal with divisions is, yes, we should have school choice. We should enable people from any side to choose what they want. That's good. Unfortunately, then, The rest of the paper said, but you know, we're never really going to reach progressives. But there are these people who are on the margins who are probably conservative but don't know anything about critical race theory or some of these other culture war issues. What we should really do is just reach out to them, tell them to be scared about things like critical race theory, and then tell them they should want school choice to protect themselves. And that seems like a very dangerous strategy Because we don't want school choice to be something that is only, we only appeal to people on the right. We try and scare people on the right. School choice should be for everyone, regardless of what their beliefs are. We want them to be able to freely pursue the education they think is best for their kids. The good news is there was massive, uh, rejection of this at least from what i've seen in you know the first few days after it came out by people who in the school choice community you know folks at at, Mm -hmm. you know ed choice uh, american federation for children lots of different places saying no no we want a big tent because we really do want everyone to be
0: able to choose and because this is the way to end culture wars it is first of all very heartening to to hear that the the broader School choice movement, especially people who are uh, so important to it, are saying, no, 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 big tent, big tent, big tent, because uh, they want school choice to be viewed by everyone as something that parents, for the most part, are uh, entitled to. And... um, but, you know, to the extent that the, the right continues to engage, especially state lawmakers that uh, are seeking to prohibit X, Y, or Z in public schools or mandate uh, A, B, and C in, in public schools, what do you where do you see this headed? To more school
1: choice. And certainly we saw over 2021, the most recent year of school choice, where 19 states either established new school choice programs or expanded school choice programs, that school choice is something people really want, and that's recognized. Um, But this is still, you know, I think one estimate was that we'd have maybe 2.5 million more students choosing private schools through these programs, and we have about uh, 630,000 students already doing that. And that's great, but that's kind of a still a bit of a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, 50 million roughly K through 12 Aged kids uh, in the country. But so we've made a lot of progress in school choice. And I see, especially with this response to this paper, that certainly the school choice people recognize hey, we want a lot of freedom within school choice. We want school choice to be something that appeals to everybody because everybody should have school choice. That said, you know, that's a little bit of a long run thing. In the short run, I'm afraid that we're going to continue to see um, people, and somewhat understandably, because when you're in public schools, you are forced into these conflicts. You sort of eat or be eaten. Um, But... More of these, look, we're just going to make decisions at the state level for every school district because we don't like what some school districts are doing. I think we're going to see more of that. And I saw a disturbing report today that Representative uh, Banks, Jim Banks, I can't remember what state he's from, but um, but in Congress, is talking about if Republicans get control i think of the house again I, you know i don't know whether he said well we have to have house and senate but regardless he wants to have hearings into the national association of independent schools which is an accreditor of private schools, usually the sort of more expensive, more, you might say, elite private schools, or at least that wealthier people go to, because NAIS and a lot of its schools lean left. Some of them embrace critical race theory. And he said, look, we can't have this sort of thing going on where these schools are kind of nudged to go to the left, and I want to investigate it. If that's representative of a lot of people in Washington or a lot of people on the right, that means we're going to be in for some some rough sailing because we're going to have to keep defending school choice as something that should be based in parental decisions, not in whether or not politicians like the ide- ideology
0: that certain schools run by. But happily, I think the the rhetoric surrounding school choice doesn't have to change, which is trust parents to make the decisions that they feel are best for their own children.
1: Absolutely. And my hope is the rhetoric doesn't change. What disturbed me is to see a sort of proposal that, no, let's change the rhetoric. Let's say CRT is terrible. And so you want school choice to get away from it. Now, I actually don't have a problem with making that argument. Two conservatives say, look, there are a lot of things schools do that you don't like. You should say, I want school choice, so I don't have to choose it. But you need to be going to progressives. If we do. I write to progressives or for progressives. You know, They don't always read it, I don't think, but uh, saying, look, you want school choice too. You're always saying, I can't get the progressive education I want in the public schools because other people don't want it. And then you complain that it's a public school problem. No, it's the problem is it is a public school problem, but the problem is people don't have choice. If they had choice, they would be able to get away from what is maybe the norm where most people probably wouldn't want that progressive pedagogy and those who did though could go get it and so we should be appealing to everybody in part by saying you want you want x but you can't get into the public schools you should have choice so you can get what you want or so you don't get the you know the history curriculum that says you need to read ronald reagan's speeches but and, and and you know that is the argument we should make. I I will agree that it it works a little better on the right than on the left, because the right tends to have people who embrace school choice more. But there was actually, if you go back to the 1960s, a whole lot of the energy behind school choice was actually from progressives who were saying, look, kids in in, in inner cities and in poor areas cannot get what they want out of the public schooling system. They cannot change it. They need to be empowered with choice. So it's not even like the history of school choice. It's all the ideas, all right-wingers deciding that people should be able to escape public schools. It has a pretty substantial left-wing pedigree too, and we ought to embrace that.
0: Neil McCluskey directs the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.